Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello, and welcome to the debrief from the business of fashion, where each week we go deep on our most popular BOF professional stories with the correspondents who created them. I'm Lauren Sherman. Have you tried Skims? Since its founding in 2019, the quote-unquote solution wear line, which includes shapewear, traditional lingerie, loungewear, and now swim, has experienced explosive growth and expects to hit $400 million in sales in 2022. In just three years, Skims has not only become a commercial success, but also a cultural touchstone, challenging the dominance of market leaders like Victoria's Secret and Spinks, which have struggled in recent years to keep up with the consumer. How did Skims do it? Today I have with me BOF marketing and PR correspondent Alexander Mondelev, who sat down with Kim Kardashian earlier this year to discuss her plan for the brand. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Can you kind of walk me step by step through the rise of Skims? Because it's not that long of a story. <laughs> so do you want to just take me through the whole thing? Yeah, thanks for having me, Lauren. So to your point, Skims has not been around for very long. It launched officially in 2019, just before the pandemic, even though it was kind of under development for a couple of years before that. And when you think about it, it is a very different venture from what we had come to know as the Kardashian-backed businesses or Kardashian-fronted businesses before. Everybody in that family had sort of pursued a lot of licensing deals. I think in particular, Kylie Cosmetics had come before it, but Skims was the first business for Kim that was really different from what she'd pursued previously. They had a lot different credentials going into the Skims business than some of their previous ventures. And by that, I mean, you know, work with Jens Greedy, who is this fashion and retail veteran alongside his wife, Emma Greedy, who runs Good American with Khloe Kardashian. And so that was one of the primary ways that this business was distinguished from the beginning as it relates to the rest of the Kardashian-backed businesses. And then obviously, you know, Kim had developed this platform of hundreds of millions of people to share this new business with. And it's funny because so often, and I'm sure this happens in interviews that you do, investors particularly like to talk about founder product fit. And this really felt like a business that accomplished that. Kim has made a business and a career off of her body in many ways. And so when Skims launched originally with what they were calling solution wear, it was really geared strictly on the body and sort of uh, complementing women's bodies. And so Skims 
like I said, launched in 2019. It was this perfect storm of factors really launching just before the pandemic with shapewear. And then when the pandemic hit, it just so happened that they had categories that were complementary to everybody staying at home, which included loungewear and, and, and pajamas and, and basics. So like I said, perfect confluence of factors there. And also everybody was glued to social media at home, which is exactly where Kim thrives. And so not to say that all of this business is hinged on Kim and her Instagram profile. It's really so much more than that, but it has just taken off in the last three years. And in many ways that other businesses have struggled and sort of been restricted by the pandemic and what they'd offered, Skim's was really lucky in having that sort of, like I said, perfect storm of factors to come together and help them take off. One of the interesting things that was mentioned in the piece was that they claim that they are profitable. If they're profitable, then they technically wouldn't need to raise money to like pay their employees or what have you. So what do they plan to do with this money? Totally. And this is something I asked Jens is like, what is the point in raising money if you're a profitable business to your point? And his answer to me was they cannot keep up with demand. So in order to scale and feed that existing machine that they have, they really need this investment to beef up their infrastructure, to expand into new categories, to to make it so that their core products, they can actually keep in stock all year. But essentially, like there's a huge chunk of the year where even their core products, not these like drops that they've been releasing on a regular basis, the core products they have trouble keeping in stock. And when you think about it, a lot of businesses would look at that and think, well, that's a pretty good problem to have, right? Like you keep selling out of your best selling inventory and it's in reality. And you think to yourself, no, it's it's actually a terrible problem because if a customer is coming to your site, either for the first time or as a returning customer and thinking, okay, I want to buy this skin tone, skims jersey knit t-shirt that I've loved and I want to replenish my stock. Oh, it's out of stock. I can't get it. I'm going to look to a competitor or I don't know when this is going to come in next. And so you really start to chip away at customer loyalty that brands spend so much investment building when you can't keep some of those core products in stock. And so that's one reason to raise that kind of money when you're a profitable business. The other thing that has sort of been really interesting to me as I've paid attention to skims and the reporting is that they are spending a lot of money on getting product to customers quickly, very, very quickly, like one hour delivery in some markets like Los Angeles and is sort of this like Amazonification of product delivery. Or, you know, when we think about like instant food delivery, essentially, obviously that kind of business really struggled now that we're coming out of the pandemic here. But that's really something that Jens and Kim have been focused on doing is making sure that the product they spend all of this money developing in R&D, they can actually get in the hands of the people who want it. And they've been fast to develop new categories and launch new categories. You wrote recently about swim. What made them decide to jump into that, what, three years into the business? So if you ask Kim, every category that they wanted to launch felt like something, you know, she couldn't find for herself in the market or, you know, the classic founder speak of like, I had a problem and I wanted to solve it. And therefore this is why we're doing it. In reality, that's probably true. But the other big part of it is that swim is a really sexy category. The margins are a lot better than maybe some other apparel categories. And to her point, there is not necessarily one clear winner in that category. I think that it's a pretty fragmented market. And you know, we've been reporting about this at BOF for a few years now, Lauren, as you know, since at least 2018 or 2019. And we see it in in some of the biggest competitors in the space 
when we're thinking about intimates and lingerie and shapewear, even Victoria's Secret has invested in swim. They invested in Frankie's bikinis, which was that brand, that swimwear brand that was huge on TikTok last year and has continued to grow. And so you see that it just makes sense as a category again, also for skims when you think about who Kim is. And even before they formally announced that they were launching Swim, it was months and months and months of Kim teasing Skim Swimwear in particular on her own Instagram page, so much so that she told me she had to stop posting it because basically people knew the cat was out of the bag that they were launching Swim. And to her credit, that's like great marketing for them. Skims has credibility with consumers across a bunch of different categories that are difficult to get people to believe that you're good at them underwear, bras, swimwear, shapewear, the skims people like to call it, solution wear. But how did they gain that credibility so quickly? Do you think it's just because it's really, really good product? Do you think Kardashian and the fact that she is known, a huge part of her business is her body, that that association has given it quick credibility? Like, why do you think they were able to get that credibility so quickly when so many companies launch these categories and they never really take off? So to your point, I was a skeptic about the product itself. Even it's sort of the sort of thing where after Skims had launched and stores had reopened, I found myself going into a Nordstrom, which is one of their wholesale accounts and feeling the product in my hand. And I wasn't necessarily blown away with it when I did that, but it was once I've actually tried on, whether it was a t-shirt or the swimwear, it actually is really good product for the price point that it's at. The other thing that I think distinguishes it outside of swim, when we're thinking about shapewear, even the loungewear, consumers had been confronted with all of these different brands that, you know, were like the perfect basic or the the perfect loungewear shapewear. But I would venture to say that none of the marketing around it was necessarily sexy or interesting. It kind of felt like if I had to describe it, everything felt really muted. And so the thing that I think has been really interesting about Skims is that when they launched some of these categories, not only was the marketing, and when we think about it, like the creative elements of, of the advertising, you know, the ads themselves a little bit sexier and more diverse in who they were representing, they also were able to sort of tap in very quickly and react to materials that customers were really gravitating towards. So I remember when they released, it might have been their cozy collection, I think is what they called it. And that you could not get at all. Sold out immediately, they restocked sold out immediately, partially to do with the strength as well of their influencer network beyond just Kim and friends of. That's something the brand has really developed over the years as well to gain sort of credibility. And not just with fashion influencers, beauty influencers are, are getting involved in, you know, people that don't, that might have reviewed KKW beauty products in the past, reviewing Skims collections as well. And so the other thing that I think works to Skim's advantage is that there's this idea that the product wasn't going to be good because it was a celebrity brand. There were plenty of mishaps previously with, you know, I keep going back to Kylie Cosmetics, but with some of the products that she would launch, whether it was makeup or, you know, when they did Kylie Swim, that got torn to shreds on TikTok as, you know, consumers would say like, okay, this bathing suit is see-through. And it would kind of set the stage and set the tone for a venture like Skim's and people 
when you come in with a low expectation and then if your expectations are met or exceeded and the price point is good and there's sort of this like cultural clout, like I got a Skims product and I'm surprised by it. Now I'm going to post it on Instagram. People were talking about it. It was this item much in the way that you would sort of flex a luxury purchase without the luxury price point is I think kind of the secret sauce that either knowingly or not Skims has managed to achieve. Yeah, there's that marketing term price value equation, and it sounds like they have gotten it right. The other thing that's really interesting, and I'll just add this one more thing. It, it goes back to an earlier point that people don't want to like skims. The cut published this story. The headline and it's from September 2021 says, I hate how much I love Kim Kardashian West's skims. And if I'm remembering correctly, the author goes on to say, due to all of the issues that Kim has as a cultural figure that they perceived her issues to be, whether it was cultural appropriation, XYZ, you name it, skims at the end of the day was a good product and served the customer it intended to. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. When I first started writing BOF, it was out of pure passion for this industry and with an eye to how the disruptive forces of digitization, globalization, and consumer shifts would change the way fashion works. 15 years later, we are well on our way to helping to define the fashion business of the future. As I travel the world, some of you ask me, what's the best way to support BOF as we continue to act as your guide during these turbulent times? The best way to support BOF is to support our journalism by joining BOF Professional, the largest community of fashion professionals in the world. A BOF Professional membership gives you access to our agenda-setting insights and analysis, which you won't find anywhere else, plus the opportunity to learn from our talented team correspondents and editors, as well as our wider network of the fashion industry's leading creatives, thinkers, and futurists. Follow the link in the episode notes to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S O. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So after your story came out, and I think it was probably, what, a month or two afterwards, Skim released this new campaign featuring a bunch of ex-Victoria's Secret models. I don't know, maybe some of them are still there, but Heidi Klum was in there, Tyra Banks. And it was the pose was a very much look like a Victoria's Secret catalog cover circa 2002, although Kim was in there and they were all wearing skims. 
And it was just really interesting to me because Victoria's Secret in the last two years or three years, they've obviously had a lot of crazy stuff happen within that business, but they really tried to distance themselves from the idea of angels and overly sexy. They've rebranded in this way to feel more modern in the way that they're being sexy. And they've brought in a more diverse cast of models. They brought in new creative talents, et cetera, et cetera. So they did this entire overhaul. And then their skims that comes in and uses all the old Victoria's Secret models in a shoot, in a pose that I would say is very similar to what they were doing back in the day with Victoria's Secret. And it seemed like the response online was really, really positive. I'm curious to know what you think about that. Like, why is it working for Skims, but it wasn't working for Victoria's Secret? Is it just like the weight of the history the too heavy history of Victoria's Secret makes it more difficult for them to market in this environment? Or why do you think it works for something like Skims, but not for them? Do you remember when, and maybe this is something you saw or didn't see, but there was this moment when the guy who was really famous for being in all of the Verizon wireless ads and was like, can you hear me now? And he had gone over to, was it T-Mobile or AT&T? He'd like gone over to a different competitor. And that was such a huge marketing moment when he did that. And I think this is sort of analogous to that. Skims is not now going to start holding like runway shows, or maybe they will at some point, it doesn't seem like they they need to do that. But they're not going to be holding these, you know, sort of like toxic, televised runway shows that are steeped in decades of misogyny and marketing that women would have maybe said at the time was empowering, but really probably wasn't. Uh, So I think this might be sort of analogous to that example of the Verizon commercial where it's sort of cheeky. And, you know, to your point, a lot of these models, they're so much further along in their career. They don't need that. They're celebrities in their own right beyond Victoria's Secret. And so I think that there's that additional element of star power that lent gravitas to the campaign. But what I will say that was sort of interesting that initially a lot of that response to that campaign was really positive until it wasn't. Page Six ran a story and then I think it got picked up by a few other outlets accusing skims of photoshopping Tyra Banks in particular because she's the one whose body type I think has changed the most since she was modeling for Victoria's Secret. And, you know, Banks came out and defended the ad. Kardashian defended the ad. I I don't think that either had made a point to confirm or deny whether there was photoshopping. Obviously, there's retouching on some level. But I think that that is also an interesting point that who knows how many consumers caught both parts of, you know, that that whole uh, cycle of the news when it came out. I think the campaign, despite any controversies that maybe bubbled up and passed in a 24-hour news cycle, did what it needed to do. And is, again, just another indication of the power that Skims has as a brand without necessarily relying on Kim to be the celebrity face. But, you know, they've also launched campaigns with Rosalia, the singer, and then a few other, who else? I think like Megan Fox and Kourtney Kardashian did a Skims campaign. Her sisters are wearing and tagging it all the time. And so even though there's so much focus on it being Kim Kardashian's shapewear brand, to that point, Kim Kardashian has a lot of famous and powerful friends in media and in Hollywood and entertainment. And a lot of those people say yes to working with her brand, and they don't necessarily say yes to working with other brands. The other thing that I think is sort of interesting here is that Spanx has 
responded in kind, although they don't admit it, they had never had a celebrity ambassador until this year when they hired Ashley Graham to model this perfect pair of white pants that they promoted at the beginning of the summer. And they insist that it's a body positivity thing. And Ashley just happens to be a great ambassador and reflection of the Spanx brand. But realistically, they could have continued business as usual without a celebrity. But really, I think is a reflection of the competition that Skims has forced in that category and for others to respond. It's fascinating how quickly this business has sucked up the mindshare and wardrobes of a lot of Americans. It's very difficult to unseat these big businesses. And the fact that they've already started to do that so quickly is, I've never seen it. I've been covering these businesses for 15, 20 years. So what do you think they do now? Do you think you're going to say like, what are the growth levers? Do you think it's opening more retail? Do you think it's going into apparel? Apparel is probably a much trickier business because there's just much more competition than in these other categories. So when we're thinking about growth, the company Jens and and Kim had mentioned to me that they want to be spending, number one, again, sort of on that infrastructure to be able to keep their core products in stock, but then also importantly, to expand into other markets. When I asked the two of them about whether marketing to an American consumer is different than marketing to consumers elsewhere around the world who they want to target. They've already had pop-ups in Japan, Dubai, LA, Miami, and then they're stocked at Selfridges in London and Gallery Lafayette in Paris. But when I asked whether they need to be thinking about marketing and brand building differently for a global consumer, the response was really interesting to me. And it was like, no, Skims is already a global brand by virtue of its co-founder. And so I think that will be something that will help the brand continue to grow as they're able to actually get into new markets. I think their biggest challenge is not only keeping up with demand, but keeping things feeling fresh and keeping things relevant, even beyond, you know, the the goal obviously for any business is to have a product that's good enough that it's not reliant on the relevance of the founder to generate sales. They've started to do that, but I have been paying attention to some recent category launches. It's called like the Skims Romance Collections, like ultra feminine, sheer, sexy chiffon intimates very much look like something you are going to pack on a honeymoon. You're not wearing any of this outside of your clothing, or maybe you are, I don't know. But to me, that felt like I didn't see as much eagerness or response, at least in my own social media bubble of people who are like flocking to that. And so it's okay for a company like Skims to have a less successful drop and they're maybe testing and iterating along the way. I think they're going to have to come back to these things that people have come to flock to them for and really tell their friends about. Word of mouth has been a big thing for them as well. The skims, that sort of midi length skims dress. I don't know if you've seen that as well as another really popular style. If they can continue to iterate on the success of that, I think that would lead to growth down the road. I'm looking at the skims romance chiffon bra, thong, garter bikini, and smocked pant, and it's all sold out. So who knows how much they made, but it's still sold out. Yeah. It could just be the sort of thing where people are buying it just to buy it. I will say the thing that's been kind of interesting to me is they spent virtually all of their 
marketing budget on these brand building plays rather than performance. They actually, something Jens told me that was really interesting was that they can't spend on performance marketing because if they, like they're already having trouble keeping product in stock. And so if you are spending money on a Facebook ad, getting people to buy and you want that conversion, they go to the site and it's out of stock, it's useless spend. And so a lot of their marketing budget has been focused on brand building. And you think about what that means. That includes billboards. That includes, it hasn't included any commercials yet, but it includes hiring expensive photographers, obviously celebrity models. It also includes being a sponsor at the Olympics, which is, I think, the first time a direct-to-consumer apparel brand has had that kind of presence on the Olympic stage. And so these are really expensive things to do for any apparel business for any fashion business and how they continue to one-up themselves in the brand building department will be very interesting to me as well. It's a fascinating business and it's fascinating because it touches on so many different things we cover. The rise of direct-to-consumer, the disruption of these established markets like underwear and shapewear, the importance of celebrity in branding today. And they kind of have engineered it. So it's all working really well together. And it will be interesting to see how long they can sustain this and how quickly they can get to, you know, a billion dollars a year in sales or what have you. The other thing that's interesting to me too, is like, when you're looking five, 10 years down the road, what do they want? Like they didn't rule out an IPO, which was interesting, although (laughs) it obviously would never come this year. Not that it would need to anyway. They're still so early on. But does it look like an IPO? It doesn't look to me or doesn't sound to me based on the reporting that I've done, like they want to sell outright anytime soon. To go back to Spanx, interesting now that Spanx is owned by Blackstone. What a divergence, these two brands that started off offering more or less the same product have had along their journey. Well, Alex, thank you so much for doing this story. Everyone should also check out our editor-in-chief, Imran Ahmed's interview with Jens that is available on the BOF podcast stream now. It's very complimentary to this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am very interested along with everyone else to see what they cook up next. Thanks for being on the Skims Beat, Alex. Thanks, Lauren. You've been listening to The Debrief, as always, produced and edited by Emma Clark, Kate Barton, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio. I'm Lauren Sherman, and I will be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Thanks so much for joining us, and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can join BOF Professional today with an exclusive 25% discount on an annual membership covering key industry topics from sustainability to technology to marketing with access to our case studies, live events, and iOS app. To get this special offer and benefit from 25% off of a membership, head to the link in the episode show notes or enter the coupon code DEBRIEF at checkout. Visit businessoffashion.com slash memberships. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S O L. 
S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.